Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Rajesh Kumar about how a lack of understanding of the national culture impacts a company's global performance. Rajesh Kumar, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from the Philadelphia area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Today, we're going to be talking about how a lack of understanding of the national culture impacts a company's global performance. Now, of course, many companies function domestically in whatever company country they happen to be uh, stationed in, but we have many multinational and cross-national firms uh, that are not only trying to understand their their uh, headquartered culture in the nation where they're headquartered, but really in ev- any in every country where they have an office or a function, or even if they have a distributed remote team with no physical office space in a given country, they still need to have cross-cultural competencies and sensitivities if they hope to bring everyone together to have a a dynamic team and help everyone perform at peak levels so that the the company can perform well and and provide value to the marketplace. Uh, But that's easier said than done. So that's what we're going to be exploring together. As we get started, I wanted to share Rajesh's bio with everybody. Dr. Rajesh Kumar is a consultant and retired business academic specializing in global business. He has an undergraduate and master's degree in economics from the University of Delhi, an MBA from Rutgers University, and a PhD in international business from the Stern School of Business at New York University. He is also a certified global dexterity trainer. Originally from India, Dr. Kumar has lived and worked in the United States, France, Finland, Netherlands, New Zealand, Denmark, and the United Kingdom. He has taught at Penn State, Ohio State, Babson College, and Menlo College in the United States, the University of Nottingham in the UK, and the University of Aris in Denmark, among others. Dr. Kumar specializes in the art of doing business across cultural boundaries. And I could go on and on and on, um, but I'm going to pause there give you a chance to share anything else about yourself, your background, uh, and then we'll launch on into the conversation. Right. So originally I'm from India and uh, I got interested in cross-cultural issues based on my own cross-cultural journey as I moved from India to the UK and then to the United States. So I was coming from a collectivistic culture, moving to a more individualistic culture, so I, mess, I myself had to undergo some cultural shocks and cultural trauma. 
And so that was really the start of my cross-cultural journey, but at the same time, also the start of my, uh, my foray into cross-cultural exploration and why eventually I got my PhD in international business from New York University. And in my thesis, and this is going back to mid eighties, late eighties, I was exploring um, how cultural differences between Americans and Japanese shaped their negotiating style. And certainly at that point in time, Japanese companies were making a foray into the American marketplace. And uh, you know, those companies had outcompeted the US firms in a number of sectors from uh, consumer electronics to the automotive sector. So even in the United States at that time, there was a lot of interest uh, about, about the cultural dimension. So that's how I, I began my cultural career. And I got very interested in, um, so I was teaching in that area and, and then I wrote and published in this field. And, you know, and, uh, and again, based on my lived experience, I came to realize this is very significant. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And I can't say that my experiences have been as significant as yours, but I have worked uh, abroad in in many different countries. Being an expat in a different country working is a really interesting experience and phenomenon. Now, I predominantly live, you know, I'm from the U.S. I predominantly live in the U.S. And so my situation is quite a bit different than yours. But the the my lived experience has been similar in the sense that it, it is challenging. You go through the stages of of cultural adaptation when you're in a different country when not it's not just language either it's it's all sorts of things and and often very subtle things um, that you have to learn and pick up on and uh and often it's it's very foreign to your traditional mindset because it's just very different than the way you know you're you're you were socialized you were raised in your own home culture so whether we're talking about expats working in different countries, whether we're just talking about about a multinational firm who's trying to function in multiple countries or a distributed work team that has people, members of the team in in various countries or or, or even just a business that's predominantly domestic, but you have suppliers, stakeholders that are outside the country in a different context. Like you you said, with uh, uh, the differences in style in negotiation between Japanese and and US business people. whatever the interactions are when we have, we live in a smaller and smaller world due to communication technologies. So we're going to be interacting with people from all over the world. Uh, Even, you know, even I I like to tell my students, uh, even a mom pop shop down the road, you know, whatever they're selling um, chances are, they're still going to be dealing with international um, cultures in the running of their, their very local business. And that's just the world we live in today. Uh, geographical boundaries have broken down that so the question is correct yes yeah so the challenge then is well how do we do this more effectively because the reality is i think most people still aren't very good at it they're not good at cross-cultural communication they're not good at cr- cross-cultural sensitivities and competencies really what you, you just end up hurting yourself and you end up leaving a lot on the table um, in terms of of synergies and collaborations and just all the other productivity and innovation that can come as we embrace and leverage the diversity, you know, that we have in cross-cultural avenues. Absolutely. So I think one of the biggest challenges is to really recognize what our unconscious assumptions are. 
And often enough, people don't pay attention to it. And I'll just give you a famous quote from Anais Nin, uh, uh, a European writer. We do not see the, the world as it is. We see the world as we are. So I think it, it really illustrates the power of the mind and it, it illustrates the unconscious bias. So we are evaluating everything from our own particular unique perspective. And the challenges, as you rightly put it, there are different mindsets. So when you go to China, go to Japan or to go to India, people are evaluating situ situations from an entirely different perspective. And unless you don't understand where they're coming from, where they're going, what their inner and their hidden motivations are, it will really be difficult to develop something that's going to, uh, that's going to bridge the difference. And so I think that is really absolutely critical. So the first thing is to just recognize your uh, unconscious assumptions and to become aware of it. Second, I think awareness is essential, but it is not sufficient. I think uh, you then really need to, uh, uh, you know, lead, you, you then need to actually change your, uh, change your behavior, your repertoires, your way of really interacting with other individuals. Uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence, and I think uh, some of this will certainly come into play. But I think in addition to it, when you're certainly doing business across cultural boundaries, you need a lot of patience and you need, need a lot of determination because you're going to face setbacks. So the question is, that is inevitable. The question is, how do you deal with those setbacks? And so you have to recognize also in this context that failure can be an opportunity for learning that failure need not necessarily mean something negative. And often enough, people do get discouraged by failure. And, and I think it's important to draw the right conclusions and the right inferences from failure, especially in a cross-cultural context. Finally, I would also say it's important to, you know, if you're going to a country such as China, Japan, or India, it's helpful to have somebody who can introduce you to the right people. And having those connections, doing the homework, and perhaps laying the groundwork for your trips to those particular countries is going to make your trip that much more productive that much more efficient and that much more successful. So there's a lot of homework actually that you need to do. And so you've got to, you know, in some change your mindset, uh, you know, develop uh, some of those skills that I alluded to. Think about the long term and think about learning from failure rather than rejecting failure. And uh, and do not jump to hasty conclusions or judgments. So when something goes wrong, as human psychology tells us, we tend to blame the other party automatically. 
it is the default assumption <laughs> that we often have. And yet that is completely um, uh, unhelpful in this particular situation. And you may be completely off base because why an individual behaved in a particular way, you know, there might be multiple reasons and not the one that you think is responsible for that behavior. So I would also say avoid making premature judgments unless you have all of the information uh, that is available to you. And finally, recognize that each individual is different. So, so you know, stereotypes may give you some broad information, but relying on them is extremely unhelpful. And you highlight, you know, several of the challenges that we face and, and some of the steps we can take to try to overcome those, you know, as we're trying to develop our cross-cultural competencies and capabilities. And as we were talking about earlier in the interview, and this is essential if, if we want to be productive in a globalized world, in an interconnected sure. world, we have to develop these competencies. And I suspect that pretty much everyone who's listening today uh, or watching, that they are nodding their heads and they're saying, yeah, of course. The question then is, well, why are we so, why do we continue to be so bad at it? And why is it that managers, leaders, and executives and organizations give less attention to this critical dimension than really what's required to be effective? So I would say, at least in the North American space, uh, especially the United States, historically, America was pretty much a self-contained country. And even about 30, 40 years ago, the level of exports as a percentage of GDP were relatively low compared to uh, European countries, which are much more integrated and historically have had uh, greater interactions. So I would say that there was, at least in this culture, uh, traditionally a sense of insularity and of course, you know, I think uh, it takes time for that to change. And, uh, and at least many, many decades ago, I'm not sure what the situation right now is, but uh, uh, many, 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 many years ago, I think many CEOs of US companies did not have global experience. And has that changed now? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and, many do have that experience, or at least to some extent, limited experience. Yes. That, that again, helps them to recognize the importance. Um, so but as 30, we fast 40 years ago, I don't think that was the case. Yeah, yeah. But we get to today, and most people recognize the need, they recognize the pace of globalization, connectivity, sure. uh, and all of that. And yet the problem still persists. And I, th I think of expat workers, for example, there's a lot of research in the area of, of effective expat assignments and why do expat yes. assignments fail and such, right? They continue to be, have abysmal success rates they um, do. in expat assignments. And one of the biggest reasons for that is lack of cross-cultural awareness and competencies. Right. Um, and, and, and so companies will send workers uh, to to a foreign location, say to start up a new office or whatever. And so often they fail and, and the company just didn't put in the resources, the time to train, to, to acclimate, to, to develop this person so they could have a, a, 
a fighting chance to be successful in this new culture. And, and that problem repeats itself over and over and over again to incredible expense to the organization. Uh, right. So I think one of the challenges is, you know, you're into organizational psychology as well. So you will recognize that, that one of the challenges, at least uh, that companies face is, all right, I'm going to invest so much amount of money in training. Yes. How do I evaluate the success of this training? And especially, you know, it's a soft skill. It is not a hard or a tangible skill. So it is often difficult to actually assess, accurately assess the success. And so I think that is one of the reasons, not the only reason, why I think this is not being given the kind of attention that it really ought to be, that it ought to be given. Uh, the second thing, in fact, I was just in a chat with a group of interculturalists before I came on this podcast, and I think they were saying the same thing, that uh, it's very hard to sell this to the corporation, <laughs> because for a variety of different reasons, and, uh, and another consultant told me that they get called in when there is a problem. So even though at an abstract level, there is an understanding about the role of culture and all of this, in practical terms, uh, you know, I'm sure there are companies that are exceptions, but at a practical level, I think this just does not, uh, you know, capture the attention of the top management or middle management at that level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to a certain extent, I get it. Like I, I understand. And there's always the, the, uh, the ROI component that sure. business leaders and executives are always going to be thinking about. And if it's a squishier construct, it's harder to measure and it's harder to really recognize what the, the ROI is. It's going to be, you know, a harder sell to them. I get that. But man, the, the research is so clear on this. It is uh, absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and so Anyone listening, if, if, you're, if you're even a little doubtful, <laughs> I encourage you, you know, reach out to me, uh, reach out to Rajesh. Uh, we can point you towards, towards the research. Uh, let, let's, let's make sure we're investing in our people so they have a chance to be successful in these foreign assignments and in a cross-cultural environment. Um, and there, there's many things we can look at in, in how to yeah. make that more effective. Um, but one of the things, you know, I, th- I think about my experience is working abroad. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. 
We look forward to having you join us. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. For me, I don't know, for whatever reason, it's something I've always really enjoyed. It's something I feel like I'm pretty flexible and adaptable. Um, and I feel like I can kind of roll with the punches. And so I've really enjoyed all of my external assignments outside of the US and all the, the different places that I've lived in on different continents. And and frankly, I mean, every time I go abroad, every time I'm living anywhere for any amount of time. Usually, I, I pretty quickly have the thought, man, I could see myself living here for the rest of my life. And I, and I honestly mean it. Like, I, I'm not just saying that. And yet there are other people that I, I get that it's a completely different thing, like a completely different way of thinking. And they, they're just counting down the days so they can go back to the US, let's say, or whatever. Uh, and so that makes me think maybe there's some traits that I have, some personality characteristics sure. I have that might be unique. Um, that that increase my chances of success when I'm in a cross-cultural right. global so, environment. So I would surmise that you are probably then very open-minded. I Try would also suggest that you are very curious. I think, you know, I was, you need to be curious and, uh, and curiosity is actually uh, essential uh, in terms of, in terms of this. I would also say that probably, and I'm sure you must have built up some very good relationships uh, when you were living overseas. And so that would suggest to me that you have a strong relational orientation. And, and I think one of the biggest differences, if I can put it this way, between North American, European, and other cultures is the emphasis on relationships. So whereas here, we all get down to business, to task, right from the word go, in Latin America, in Japan, and other parts of Asia or in Middle East, you first got to develop a relationship. And unless that relationship is not built, I think you're going to have lots of problems and challenges. And uh, I, I did a webinar a few months ago on global negotiations and one of the participants was from Argentina and she was saying that you know if it's the same US company say in Argentina but assume but they keep on changing their managers so often and so from the standpoint of the local Argentinians when a new person comes it means building the relationship all over again and so you know the sensitivity to relationship the the ability to have a certain kind of emotional attunement is, I think, very, very critical in terms of building, uh, crossing across borders. So I suspect you probably have some of those skills and maybe you're probably also very patient and resilient. 
in terms of coping with the unique challenges of being in a global, uh, in terms of living globally? Well, I, I would say I certainly strive for those things. Uh, and, and, and perhaps, you know, perhaps, I, you know, I, I, I have a, a tendency towards those types of traits and characteristics, and that's right. helped me to be successful. Yeah. And then I guess the question is, what does that mean for when either when, you know, I'm trying to open up shop in a foreign country, or I'm trying to hire someone for my remote team, who's from another country, or I'm sending an, a worker on an expat assignment, like, how do I gauge who who's the like the right person who's going to fit in with my leadership style with the team uh, and okay. all of that when we're talking about a globalized environment right so i mean i would say you can use two approaches you can do an informal assessment in the sense that as a manager you know all your subordinates you know what that particular culture would demand and you can sense perhaps uh, what kind of traits these particular individuals possess, yes. On the other hand, if you want to go to a more formal route, you know, you have cross-cultural assessment and coaching. You have a lot of consultants that work in that area. So you can actually do a more sophisticated psychometric analysis as well. So, you know, I think you have, and and depending on the organization, you know, in some organizations, they already have that inbuilt in them, in their HR departments. So for a smaller company, it might be a different issue. But for a bigger company, they probably always already have uh, some of those uh, standard inbuilt procedures for assessing and then coaching. And so because I think coaching also becomes important. And I know there are many expat coaches who be who are hired by companies to actually brief the individual, the family, in terms of what they might expect in a new assignment. So I think there are different ways of doing this. And depending on the company, on the resources that you have, uh, you know, you can use the approach that would be most appropriate for you. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And you mentioned something right on the tail end of that comment about not only the employee, but the families of the employee. Absolutely, right? yes, and, yes. And that's yes. something I think a lot of organizations overlook. So even if an organization, say, is going to send someone on an expat assignment and they they put train, you know, they dump training into them, uh, they try to help them be prepared, maybe even language training, culture, cross-culture training, whatever. But guess what? The whole family's going. And guess what? Exactly. If, the if the family isn't able to adapt, it's also not going to be successful um, Absolutely. you know, and, and so many expat assignments fail because not necessarily even because of the individual, the employee, but because of the trailing spouse or the kids who are having tr struggles in country or whatever. And so they end up coming home early uh, or, or they're just miserable and they, they can't function. And so you can't underestimate, you know, the importance of a holistic family approach. And even if the person's single, you know, they don't have a, a spouse, children, what kind of social support will they have in country when they're on this foreign assignment? Because social support is one of the major uh, identifiers and, and predictors of success. And, and so if they don't have that, uh, they're, they're likely to, to struggle. Right, absolutely. And I think you bring up, you know, an interesting point, and it does have implications for companies. So what 
what this would suggest is that for companies that are expanding in a number of different countries, I think you need to have the resources to sustain that expansion and resources, not just, uh, not just financial, but also managerial, which means that for a smaller to a medium-sized company, international expansion is more challenging, is more difficult. And, uh, and so they really need to be very focused because otherwise they might not really be so successful. For the larger Fortune 500 companies, that's not so much of an issue. It's really more a question of awareness and having the inbuilt HR department to be able to do all of this. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, this training is absolutely vital and essential. Yeah, Rajesh, it has just been a pleasure. We've only scratched the surface. There's so much more detail we could get into and that we could explore on this topic, but that's going to have to suffice for today. Before we wrap up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Right. So, uh, you know, if you're interested, you can connect with me either on LinkedIn or on uh, my website or through my website, www.globalstrategicadvisory.com. So my concluding thought is culture is absolutely vital. Understanding cultural differences will make or break your company in your global market. So pay attention to it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Rajesh and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Check out my new book, The Future Leader, Creating and Transforming Next-Gen Organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, The Future Leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results.
Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.